Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Welcome to the Living Free Show today on 3CR Community Radio. This week we've got a special aimed at improving our understanding of mental, mental health issues in the community. Uh, my name's Bill and I'd like to welcome Sue and Todd to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Uh, they're going to be sharing their experience about living with bipolar disorder and how participating in bipolar support groups has helped them. Um, so, Sue, we'll start with you. We usually talk initially about um, growing up, what it was like. So... Normal family life for you? Yes, definitely. I had a really good supportive family family life, and they still do. They're, they're great. So I think I was very fortunate and um, still am. Mm. Okay. So what was life like for you as a kid? Um, academically, I was very clever. Um, things were easy for me to do, uh, schoolwork and, and the rest of it. Um, I was a bit of a nuisance because I would talk a lot um, and be a bit of a bugger, I suppose. Um, all my jobs, I sort of started uh, at the bottom level and made it to the top level very quickly too, so okay. quite successful. <laughs> so what about relationships? Did you have any relationship issues? Um, no, not really. I met my husband, um, my ex-husband, when I was 21 and we were working together at the time. We got engaged, bought a house, built a house and um, got married and had two children. Okay. So, yeah, pretty successful. Yeah. yeah, it was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so what about growing up? Did you have any exposure to drug and alcohol? Uh, yes, I'd drink from a young age. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I was probably smoking a bit of marijuana when I was in my 20s um, till, well, basically till when I, when I had the children. So, Okay. Um, so did you have any mental health issues in your family? Not at that stage, no. Yeah. Uh, later on, uh, my dad was diagnosed with bipolar in his late 40s, so I would have been in my 20s. And um, from that, it was a little bit obvious for me to see that I was going the same way when I was in my 40s, yeah. Okay. So do you think your it, it developed over time, it got worse over time, or just your inability to cope... I think stress plays a big part on it and I think at the time in my 40s I was trying to start a new business. Um, my ex-husband was uh, a bit of a negative personality and, and he was putting a lot of pressure on me not to do it and I was resisting and doing it. I don't know whether that was a start um, but I was up through the middle of the night ringing Papua New Guinea trying to sell these animal traps that we were doing and I think that eventually just Caught got too the- much. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, so what was the thing that triggered you to think that you had bipolar? Um, I, was run- I was running around. I was doing everything over the top. I was talking fast. I was running around like irritating people, uh, slightly aggressive in my behaviour as well as slightly crazy. Um, and because I had seen bipolar in my dad, I did approach a couple of doctors asking if I did have bipolar and was not diagnosed with it at the time and it sort of 
came into effect a few months later when I ended up being hospitalised. Right. So what were, the, what were the sort of symptoms that you went to the doctor with? Um, well, at the time I'd been very crazy taking photos, running around the school. My kids were both in primary school. I think the, the actual headmaster banned me from the school at some point. Um, so I was just over-the-top behaviour, totally over-the-top behaviour. Um, but I felt like I was okay. But what happens with bipolar is how you see yourself and how others see you are two totally different things. Yeah, okay. And until you realise that, it takes a while to realise that because a lot of the people like the highs. They're confident, they're spending money, they're sexually active, they're having fun. So. <laughs> right, okay. So what um, what caused you, What's what was the doctor's impression of you when you presented with that um, fear or thought? Um, well, I'd, co- I'd come down fairly flat, so I was sort of lying in the bed looking at the chest of drawers for quite a number of hours every day, and it was a struggle to get up to get the kids organised and pick them up, but that also helped me because I did do things, so I sort of felt better by the end of the day, but you were forced to do it. You couldn't just lie in bed all day, so I suppose that was a bonus, but... Because I was flat, I was presenting as feeling sick and fluey and I thought I had a, you know, a flu. And, um, yeah, the doctor just said, I'll give you uh, anti-nausea tablets. Okay. And the second doctor said, I'll give you blood tests. But I had said to both of them, I think I've had a manic episode. They just sort of dismissed it. Okay, mm. right. Um, so, and when you were uh, eventually diagnosed, how did that ha- occur? Well... I went on a mission. I, I get a bit psychic-y and weird. So off I went on a mission to find lavender. Um, I ended up at some... Went for a drive, ended up at a a farm that had a lot of animals. I, I seriously believe, and it's hard not to believe to this day, that the animals... I was talking to them and I was chasing dogs around and <laughs> and running around barefooted and then I got arrested by the police and put in the back of the divvy van, so... Off to the police station and cat team got involved and off to the hospital. Okay, right. Mm. Obviously, you were still high at that time, mm. but when you came down, or how did you come down off that? They drug you. They drug okay. you to bilio. To, to you can't, you know, I resisted the drugs, so I was playing up in there too. I didn't want them, so they'd just inject me and they'd knock you out and you were like that for quite a while. Okay. Um so if you're in hospital and you're drugged, it must be very hard to come out. So what's the, what's the process? Well, I, my impression of it is they get you in there, they, they dose you up so much, everyone queues up for the drugs, they all want the drugs. I didn't, so I kept getting injected, which made me worse because I couldn't speak in the end, I couldn't talk because of the drugs. Um, they sort of try and that's week one. Week two, they start levelling you out a little bit and then basically week three, you're out the door, so... Okay, so it's pretty harsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no real support or support offered afterwards, do you, th- do you think? Yeah. Uh, no, there's not a lot of support. And the support I got after I my first admission into hospital was completely wrong as well. I was given a psychiatrist's name um, that I rang up and went to see and he he uh, he just wasn't for me at all. Yeah. So, so I agree. I agree with what you're saying there. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, over to you then, Todd. So, what about your childhood? What was life like growing up? 
My childhood was pretty normal. Uh, I had three sisters, a mum and a dad, obviously, and uh, we were a bit uh, itinerant with the primary schools. We went to four different primary schools. And then I went to the one high, well, two high schools, one one over in America. I was an exchange student in America. I found schoolwork very easy, but I was also the class clown. So uh, like Sue, I got high marks, but the... the the descriptions of my behaviour weren't great at times. And then I left school and started working. So it was a fairly normal sort of childhood. Uh, my mum and dad split up when I was about 13, um, got divorced when I was about 14, 15, something like that. But other than that, it was a fairly normal childhood. Yeah. Any alcohol or drugs in your childhood? Yes, I started smoking marijuana when I was 14 and I started drinking probably when I was about 13 and that sort of continued on and once I started work, then my marijuana use increased dramatically as well. But I was a, a lot of the times I was try, using that to try to sleep at times. Okay, to manage your condition that you didn't That's understand. That's right, yeah. the, exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so... Growing up then, get in your late teens, how, were you happy with your life? Not particularly, no. No, there was, there was something wrong, but I really couldn't put my finger on it. Um, and, I'm, and I still can't really describe it to this day. But I remember when I was age 17, probably late 17, early 18, around that time was when I had my f- f- uh, first thought of suicide. Okay. Yeah, and it uh, that was quite frightening actually, because it was something that went on over a period of time. Okay. How did how did you get over that? Well, I did, I I really didn't know what to do, so yeah. I just tried to live life as best I could under those circumstances, yeah. and you... and then I developed a, a a really severe gambling addiction around that same time as well, which helped me forget about the problems that I had in my life. Okay, so were you able to relax yourself gambling? Was that to forget? Was that the well, not really. It wasn't really relaxing because um, I had my first bet when I was nine, and and I got, I was really euphoric because it was a win, and then I tried to recreate that feeling. So, to start when I started, I was euphoric a lot of the time because I was winning, but then when I started losing, it was obviously completely different. Yeah, and so that that would create moods within me where I'd you know, be really angry and uh, wouldn't sleep for days and days and days but not feel tired and it was a really confusing time. Mm. Okay. Did you think you had a problem or not? You just thought it was life? As far as with a bipolar? You yeah. Mean? Well, I, no, no, I didn't really. I just sort of put it down mostly to my gambling. That's what I put it down to really okay. was just yeah. the fact... Because I went to GA fairly early when I was 19 and I sort of would Gamblers talk to Anonymous. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yep. yeah. And I sort of listened to other people and then I sort of thought, oh, okay, well, there's lots of other people here that are talking about feelings of suicide, et cetera, et cetera, but also having feelings of elation because they're winning their bets and, and so on and so forth. So I've, I did identify with a lot of what was being said. So I put all my moods and feelings down towards that, that issue with my gambling. Okay. So were you still depressed at this stage? A lot of the time I was depressed, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the only way I could get out of feeling, not feeling depressed was 
pretty much either gambling, uh, but I gambled very severely, so I, the money would run out very quickly. So then uh, I'd look to drugs as well. Marijuana and alcohol would sort of help me forget that problem, but I didn't smoke or drink as much as anywhere near what I wanted to because I didn't have the money right, to, okay. to get it. <sighs> That's probably probably a good thing. Yes, in hindsight, yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so once you stopped gambling, mm-hmm. did life improve? Yes, it did. Yeah, I, I struggled for a long time in and out of GA, but uh, I haven't gambled for over fifteen years. And uh, about two years after my last bet in two thousand and three, I was working as a sales rep. I was very successful, earning a lot of money. I had no dependents. Uh, I had a lot of items at home. Like when my last bet, I could put all my my belongings in a grey Coles bag, literally. And then I went to having enough furniture and things to fill a three-bedroom house. And I had a lot of choices in life. And and I remember just one day I was sitting in a GA meeting and I was thinking of killing myself. And And I thought, why am I thinking this way? This doesn't make any sense. My life is so good. And... I don't know how long the period was now, but for quite a long time, I was thinking of killing myself, and it made no sense. And I and I didn't reach out to anybody because I didn't know how to say it to anybody. And, and I thought some people might think I was some sort of failure in GA because I was feeling this way. So it was really, really confusing for me. Okay. So did you have any manic episodes as well? Oh yes, yes. I had um, quite a few manic episodes as well. Uh, you know, not sleeping for days on end, not feeling tired. So that's not normal. You know, like I can not sleep much but feel tired. That's normal. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't sleep, and I'd be all about you know, jumping up and down. And I'd be at, I'd be at work, and people would be asking me, you know, um, you know, are you on speed? You're talking so fast, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Yes, yeah, so I, so I didn't really know what to do, you know. And then, then what happened was I went to see a sleep psychologist because I wasn't sleeping, and and I spoke about my my propensity to smoking marijuana, and he suggested I go see a psychologist. So I did that, and it was, she was actually hypnotizing me, and she did really really well actually, and uh, and then. Uh, I got my the episode around me getting diagnosed was back in 2008 in June. I went up to Queensland with a friend and for my brother's 21st birthday. And after about four hours of getting there, I woke up about three o'clock in the morning and just said, oh, "I'm going to go home right now." And that's exactly what I did. I got in the car and I just drove, left her there. She didn't know anybody or anything like that. Mm. So, so that sort of led up to my diagnosis. Okay. So how how did your diagnosis occur? What was the process? I, well, after after that event in Queensland, uh, everybody I was coming across again was saying, you know, what's wrong with you? What's are you talking so fast? Um, I would burst out into song in trains and walking around. I thought I was a famous opera singer, so I started opera lessons as well, which surprises some people who know me to this day. But I did. I did. I did a performance as well, actually, a, a proper performance. <laughs> But, yeah, so I, I had all these strange beliefs and uh, somebody I was with noticed that I was crossing a road without looking mm. for cars. Yeah. And I, I didn't even realise I was doing it, but I was yeah. just walk across roads. Yeah. 
And so anyway, I went to see the psychologist again and I sort of broke down because I'd been manic for quite a while and like with mania, there comes a crash. Mm. And so I sort of crashed and the GP diagnosed me with bipolar and then uh, I didn't want to accept that diagnosis because I'm a compulsive gambler and I was thinking, oh my God, Mm. I'm a compulsive gambler, now I've got this other label and... And it just, I just couldn't accept it. So then a friend sent me a couple of links to a few websites about bipolar. And once I looked at all the symptoms of bipolar, I had to say to myself, well, I've got every single one of those when I'm either manic and or depressed. Yeah. So so that, that was it in a nutshell, really. So did that help you understand why you were feeling like that? For a long time, yes, it did. Yeah, yeah. It explained my behaviour. Uh, a lot, a lot of my behaviour for many years previous, but it's still even hard for me today to distinguish between what was my compulsive gambling uh, character characteristics and what was my bipolar characteristics. But it's so far gone now that I don't even really think about it much anymore because yeah. it doesn't really matter anymore. No, as such. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. We might take a break there. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Um, we've got podcasts of the show are available on our um, webpage, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. And they're also available on, on iTunes. If you want to contact us, you can call the station on 9419 8377 or you can send us an email at 3 free at com. Uh, we're also on Twitter. We have a Twitter handle, and it's at 3CR Living Free. Uh, we usually put in a couple of uh, community service announcements as well. Here's one from the Brainwaves program. I'll just play it for you. World Mental Health Day 2018 is coming up on October 10th. This year, the World Health Organization's theme is Young People and Mental Health in a Changing World. Talking about what it means to grow up in today's society and how to build mental resilience to cope with pressures. To celebrate on Brainwaves, we want to hear from you. Send in your stories about what resilience and mental health means to you. Head to brainwaves.org.au to find out more and submit your story. Tune into 3CR Community Radio on Wednesday the 10th of October at 5pm to hear our special Mental Health Week edition of Brainwaves. Or listen to the podcast on the 3CR website. Brainwaves, hear the world differently. Proudly sponsored by Worldways Australia. Ah, yeah. And that um, Brainwave show was on yesterday, but the podcast and you can listen to it online as well. Um, I'm talking with uh, Sue and Todd, and we're talking about bipolar disorder and how attending bipolar support groups can be of help. Um, so, so uh, we left you um, when you'd had one episode in, in hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so how many times have you been hospitalised? Eight. eight. I'm hoping that the, la- the eighth was the last. So <laughs> that's, that's the plan. Um, I was hospitalised twice last year, but I think because I'm 56 and I'm around menopause age, I I believe that hormones does play a part um, in bipolar for women, or probably men too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So having understanding your dad 
um, has bipolar. Mm -hmm. Can you see things that you do similar to him? Yeah, Dad has bipolar too, and which is um, mania and depression. I have bipolar one, which is mania, but it goes much higher than Dad's mania. I'm probably ten times as bad. So when I look at Dad and see, think that he's irritating <laughs> the life out of me, I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I doing to everyone when I'm elevated? So <laughs> yeah. it's it is a wake up call. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, so so what's the difference between bipolar one and two? Just well. Bipolar 2 has highs and lows, but predominantly more lows. Oh, okay. And um, bipolar 1 tends to have more manic highs, high. very, very high. Okay, yeah. right. Okay. Um, so have you had any other health issues as well as your mental health? Yes. In the last um, – well, in 2014, I had a, a breast lump taken out and had radiation. And then a year later to almost the day, I had another lump in the left breast. So – um, so I've had two lots of radiation, two lots of, and, and I've been on hormone treatment uh, because it is hormone-related cancer. Um, and then I broke my ankle. So I had three good years. And, uh, and, and through that I have to learn that I've got to pace myself, I've got to watch my stress levels, I've got to watch what triggers um, a manic or a hypermanic moment. So it's, I, guess, I guess insight for me is the biggest Thing. You need to have insight into your illness. Yeah. Okay. Um, and understanding that you do have bipolar, has that helped you to relax in acceptance? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's – I suppose some people – you do get treated a little bit differently by some people. They will uh, – you know, you, it gets a little bit irritating when they say take another pill if you're <laughs> laughing. Yeah. You're laughing too much or having fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your kids sort of pull you down a little bit when you, um, you know, you can't skip around the kitchen. So <laughs> it's it does get a little bit irritating, but you sort of, yeah. you know, I suppose you've just got to take it on board and, and just not take it all to heart. You know, a lot of people um, get quite upset by their family and friends doing that, and I, I guess I did too. Um, like I've distanced from a cousin for seven years because she called the cat team on me and it was Mother's Day and it was my daughter's birthday and it was not a good day to put me in. Yeah. Um, and I haven't really sp I've spoken to her once in the seven years, which is not her fault. I'm, you know, I'm trying to contact her now to try and apologise and, and um, offer the olive branch. But, um, yeah, it's not her fault. It, I have to take responsibility. It was mine. But Yeah, okay. Um, the other thing you mentioned uh, when we were talking earlier was that you had effectively blackouts where you didn't know what you were doing. Mm. So what's mm. that feel like? It, yeah, it gets scary. It does. It, it's serious. And where Todd's saying he was walking across the road, I was told twice I ran across Turek Road one time and another double lane road another time. And I really believed I was fine and I'd checked the traffic, but the yeah. people that were watching me were seeing something <laughs> totally different. So yeah. I, I was becoming um, – the, the blackouts seemed to be getting worse. Like I can't remember things. I, it's like, what did I do? What was I doing? Where was I? And and that's when I've probably thought that this has got to stop now. I've got to take take control of it, and that's what I've done sort of since November last year. Okay. Um, so does that mean? How do you manage? Okay. Well, you do. Well, for me, I everyone's different as well. I, I walking the dog. You know, getting out in nature is, is a really good thing. Meditation helps calm you. 
when you have too much on, get rid of some of the things that you're doing. Pace yourself a little bit more, like just trying, take time for yourself, have a massage, have a facial. Do you know what I mean? Like really do look after yourself and that's probably what I do. Yeah, so, okay. A bit of indulgence. Yeah, che- yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Doesn't go astray. Eat a box of chocolates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is, is medication... Uh, the major way of controlling bipolar as a disorder? They, yeah, well, they say it does, and it does to a certain degree because you can. it's very easy to go from zero to ten with mania and yep. and you, you it does feel good. It's, it is a feel-good thing and you're thinking you're doing good things or funny things or and you just let it go and it's very easy to get yourself into trouble, but... Um, I, th- I also think with the medication, you've got to actually – the medication's got to suit you as well. You can't just keep taking medication after medication because some of them are very addictive, some of them are weight-gaining. Um, I think you've got to work it until you get it right. And it's not – I think you've got to be responsible for yourself as well as working with your doctor or your, your psychiatrist and, and just make sure that everyone's on board. Yeah, uh, sort of knowing your own body, mm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what's your major what do you majorly use your medication for um, well I have lithium so I take um, well, two and a half tablets of lithium but and then I have um, a quetiapine or a seroquel as it's known I've a very very small dose and that's what I take when I feel like I could go off the rails so that all it does is knocks me to sleep for six or seven hours okay yeah so I just bring myself down okay right it sounds good in it's a ground way. myself. Yeah. Some of us could use some of that. <laughs> yes. So what what about you then, Todd? So um you've mental mental illness is is a burden, but once you understand that you've you've got it, what what's life like, you know, understanding you have it and being on your own? Well, once I understood that I had it, it really made some of my behaviour, as I mentioned earlier, make, made a lot more sense. But once I accepted I suppose I then sought some way on how I could live life as best I could, as normally, in inverted commas, as yeah. I could. Yeah. And that, first of all, was medication. Uh, definitely. Medication is by far the, the, the biggest help that I've got in dealing with bipolar uh, and since since 2008 when I got diagnosed and the medication I've been taking, my episodes have not been anywhere near as severe, generally. Yep. And when I say generally, I've had two really bad severe episodes in the last 10 years. And when I do have episodes, except for those two severe ones I mentioned, they don't last as long either. Um, and that's because also the medication, but also understanding my early warning signs. And for me, the early, I have a very easy early warning sign, and that is sleep. Mm. Okay. So I'll sleep, if I'm going depressed or going low, I'll sleep 16, 16 hours, you know, and, or what I call doona therapy. Yep. So, uh, and then if I'm severely depressed, I'll sleep, I can sleep 18, 20 hours, wake up and maybe go to the toilet and maybe make something to eat that, you know, cook in the microwave for a minute and go back and lie in bed and watch TV and then fall asleep. So, And then alternatively, when I'm going into hypermania or, or mania, 
hypermania is below the, the level of mania. Yeah. Uh, I will not sleep much at all. And, and and that happens in life with everybody. People yeah. don't sleep sometimes for whatever reasons. But when I'm going into a state of hypermania or mania, I will I will not feel tired at all after only having two hours sleep mm. or not even sleeping at all. Yeah, okay. And and I won't go to what I've learned now with um, being diagnosed is I don't go to bed until I feel tired at all. Doesn't matter doesn't matter how I'm feeling, and that's simply yeah. because if I go to bed and I'm lying in bed. And I can't sleep. I get really, really frustrated. So I end up staying awake a whole lot longer anyway. So, yep. so yeah. So the so I was able to accept the diagnosis. I got the medication, and then I started going to the support groups, uh, which was a great help as well. You know, just not as much as the medication, uh, but definitely that's that's the second biggest help that I've got from from being diagnosed. Definitely. Okay. So how do the how do the support groups work? Well, the way they work for me, and and I suppose in general, is you you're in an environment where you're not going to get judged, um, and not get told should it, you know you should be doing this, you should be doing that. I really, I really despise it when people say to me, "You should be doing this and you should be doing that." Even to this day, even if it's my mum or yeah. whoever, I still get really annoyed. But you don't, you don't get that in that environment, and people will just make a suggestion, and they're making suggestions on their own experience, not somebody else's experience that they've heard from, or they may, they may generate. Um, some discussion from somebody else's experience, but it's somebody else that has bipolar as well. Yeah. So, so I got in there and I was able to talk freely without judgment. And also, when I when I when I got to the meetings, actually, sorry, no, when, not when I got to the meetings, but a few years after I got to the meetings, unfortunately, I lost my three best friends, one two of thirty years and one of ten years, and. The one of 10 years, I still don't know to this day why she doesn't speak to me. So, mm. and, and if any of the three of them are listening, I'd love to see you. So, <laughs> and they know who they are if they're listening. So, so, so I was able to gain some friendships again uh, with people. And, and it's very, very important because what I've, what I've seen is that a lot of people that come into the groups uh, are very lonely because they do lose their friends mm. and they also do re- lose relationships with mm-hmm. their family because uh, the people are putting them, putting high standards on the person with bipolar. Like after my, I came out of hospital and two months after I came out of hospital, the psych ward for the first time, you know, one of my friends who was helping me was making all these demands upon me and it was like I can't I just couldn't yeah. meet them you know yeah. I was I was physically and mentally incapable of making them and I did some wrong things as well you know I'm not saying it yeah. it's all them as well but so the the groups help with that as well and and it just and you get some hope too like you, you, people come in and I when I first came in and I sort of thought oh god you know how am I going to deal with all this and it's like well you hear people that have had jobs for the last 10 years and you know they're living a semblance of some sort of com, inverted commas again normal life and are, are progressing and living life rather than barely existing yeah yeah Okay. Yeah, I guess the other thing is that you realise that you're not alone. You're not the only person who's got this condition. Yes. And there are other people out there, and some people have got a lot worse. And mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. a good feeling because you go, oh, at least, at least I don't have that. Yeah, um, exactly. So, uh, and with you, Sue, um, knowing that 
other people are, have had the same thing, does that give you hope? Um, I think it's good to hear different people uh, with their stories or their ideas and and things like that. I'm fortunate that I don't get the depressed side of it as such. If I get very high and end up in hospital, I come out and I'm quite flat for a while, but not the severe depression. I don't get suicidal thoughts or anything like that, and a lot of them do. So, you know, their depression is very, very low, a lot lower than the normal, and I'm very fortunate that I don't go that way. Yeah, Mm. okay. So have you developed friendships inside support groups? Yes, I have, Yeah. yeah. So what's it like to help somebody who's just coming in Does that give you a good feeling? I think that's a benefit too, yeah. Yeah. You can sort of see that their face has changed. They feel like, oh, my goodness, someone understands me. I think they get good ideas, like medication gets told. You know, we talk about different medications and and how they affect different people differently because that's the other thing too where, where I can be, well, I take the same medication as Todd, but he has 900 mils of it and I have 6.5. So yeah. we're on a different, <laughs> different two scale. different levels, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. And I think you mentioned before the other issue too was that hormone levels, your own hormone levels, mm-hmm. um, imbalance some of the things that you're taking oh, as well. Yeah. When, yeah. Before I was in between episodes, I suppose, I would get um, like a slight elevation every month and that would coincide with when my progesterone was dropping and where most women get cranky before their period I'd elevate so that would be my work time you know I get all my work done in that time (laughs) because you're very productive you're overproductive you know you'll clean grout with a toothbrush so I've done that (laughs) (laughs) come to one of our groups there's hope hope for you (laughs) Uh, so um and I guess the other thing about people sharing their life experiences that you can realize that even though something hasn't happened to you yet, it might happen to you because mm. of the progression of mm. things like this. Yeah, and and you can lift people up too from, you know, they're not they realise they're not the only one, and mm. you know they can see okay if it's going to happen or this might happen. There's there's sort of ideas from the group that help. It just helps. It's it's a good support group. It really is. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, Todd, one of the things I was going to ask you was um, the bipolar support groups. It's part of Bipolar Life. Yes. So how long have they been going? Bipolar Life support groups started in 2015. Yep. And... Uh, We've got about six meetings, metropolitan meetings, and we have one in Ballarat as well. We would like to get more country areas up and, and up and running and more in the western suburbs of Melbourne as well, hopefully yep. later on this year or sometime next year. And then previous to that, it was run by an organisation... Well, there was a support group run by an organisation called Arafmi, which was taken over by Mind, and they had uh, one support group in Hawthorne, which was on... Uh, the first Wednesday of every month I think it was if I remember correctly and that was really good and then unfortunately mine took a raft me over and then about a year later they decided to move the group up to Rosanna and that's died a very quick death the support group and that's sort of where bipolar life was born out of that. Okay so any talk of it going interstate or are there similar ones interstate? That's a good question and I don't know the specific answer to that to be honest. Uh, I At this stage uh, bipolar life is only in Victoria. Victoria. Yep. Yes, yeah. Okay. And there might, yeah, I don't really know about any. I've been on the committee for bipolar life for quite a few years up until about two months ago. I had to quit for personal reasons. 
and there was there was no talk at all about looking interstate because there's still so much to be done yeah, in Victoria. Like, yeah, so yeah. yeah, don't spread yourself too thin. That's mm. right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Sue and Todd about bipolar disorder and what it's life life like now once you've got some understanding of the disease, you've got some medication and also you in a support group that allows you to... Um, share with other people and feel part of a you know part of a group instead of being isolated. So, so what what is it what is it like being in the the support group, and what does it offer you ongoing? Um, I, I get a lot out of it. I I get a lot out of um, going there and helping new newcomers as well. Um, it's good to hear stories of. I mean, these are you know really intimate stories that people do express. Um, and they're, you know, quite sad and heartbreaking and, and we try and lighten it up as well. Like I, I sort of like to see the fun in or the humour in a lot of things. So it's good to lighten it up as well rather than it being too serious. Um, but, yeah, it's it's good for me. I feel like I'm, um, uh, well, speaking with people that are like-minded. So it's it's an understanding. And if you can help each other, then it makes life good. Yeah, well, particularly coming from a fairly isolated, you know, doctor-patient relationship, and realizing mm. that there's all these people out out there that have had varied experience, mm. and some of them are going to be like yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must be a good feeling. It is, and look, a lot of them don't. When they're depressed, you find that they don't come, it, and um, it, it's or it's harder for them to come. But when they do come, they always say they walk away feeling elevated. They feel they've taken some of our energy and because yep. we've got usually a lot of it yeah <laughs> um it's quite good for them and they do walk away feeling a lot better than when they walk in the door yeah a bit like the batteries are recharged it is it is yeah. well you know when you're around a positive person as well like there's i'm a positive person all the time you know I'd, but when i'm with depressed people i try and give some of that to them you know so you do you you feed off it and and um look if everyone walks away a little bit lighter than in the day that's you know good mm. so in your life you mentioned that you um, separated from your husband. Mm-hmm. So, what are your relationships like now? Um, I've been in a re- my the, my partner's been living with me for about seven years now. He's he's really good. He's um he's really understanding. He gets me off my high horse when I need to get off it, <laughs> <laughs> and he sort of you know he's he's really um, supportive, which is which you need. You do need those, mm. and if you. If you're out there with a bipolar, uh, you know, you've got bipolar and you've got a partner that's not being supportive, it's time to move them on mm. because yeah. you need that support. You need, And if you get a good partner, you'll get, you'll get it. Yeah, is, yeah. A lot of – well, I, I think any good relationship needs good – yeah, mm. you need support. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so how about work? Is work an issue with bipolar? Um, for me, I have my own business. I, I consult to small businesses, so I can actually do that in my own leisure or at my own time. Um, actually, when Todd was walking up, I was talking to a client on the phone at the same time. So yeah. it's my – I just say to them, I'm busy at the moment, you know, so they're pretty good. Um, I also have a, a, 
a charcoal chicken shop. My partner runs that. I work one day a week, but I've also been taking up menu log deliveries seven days a week, so I'm probably yeah. slightly on the overdoing it at the yeah, moment, right. and I've got to be aware of that. Um, so work-wise, I sort of work when it suits me, but I have that privilege. I don't have to go um, five days a week, so I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. That's good, yeah. Uh, and how about you, Todd? What's it like now, you know, knowing that you have a broad broad support in uh, in self help groups. Um, how does how does does that mean you can relax a little bit? Well, I wouldn't say relax is the right word, but yeah. I can just live with the condition of bipolar a lot better. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier about having the early warning signs, that that definitely helps because that helps reduce the severity of my of my uh, episodes. So. Just having that is makes me feel a bit more comfortable. Uh, it can be difficult at times, though, when I'm getting into hypermanic, manic mood because people might be saying, you know, you're talking too fast or you're interrupting all the time, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, and you feel really good and it's like, well, hang yeah. on, I feel fantastic. What are you talking about? Why should I calm down? Why should I take some time out? And... So that can be difficult. It's a lot easier for me to recognise when I'm sliding into depression and take the appropriate action, but not so much when I'm hypermanic, unless uh, I start to get hallucinations, which happens when I become manic. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's when, and the auditory ones, which I get, which I haven't had a lot of, they're really scary for me. So hope, but I'm, as I said, like I haven't had an episode uh, for four years now so uh, like a severe one where i haven't been able to do anything so i have i haven't been working full-time for four years i do a little bit of work actually for swinburne university if for the mental health uh, unit there so i do tell a bit of a joke and sort of say that some of my craziness has finally paid off so (laughs) so there we go so i do a little bit of that and i'm actually going to back to study full-time next year cyber security so i'm looking forward to that as well so And, yeah, so I live my life as best I can, having not worked full-time, and, yeah, I get plenty of time to do what I like at, at the moment, and, yeah, it's about time that I sort of started getting back into the work- workforce and study, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Okay. Uh, we were talking earlier off-air off about um, the bipolar support groups and the fact that there are support groups for carers. Yes. So do you want to tell us a bit about that? Well, I don't know too much about it because I've never been to the carers group, but uh, there is a carers group that meets every fortnight in South Yarra. And that's for people who don't know what a carer is. Basically, a carer can be somebody that's obviously looking after somebody with bipolar. It can be a family member, can be a friend, can be a work colleague as well, if a work colleague knows that you have bipolar. Basically, just anyone that has some sort of interest in someone's welfare that has bipolar. They will learn how to better deal with the person with bipolar, but also better deal with inside themselves as well what they can do like sometimes they'll learn things maybe like when to sort of turn off and turn away and give yourself your own space as well and there's further details on the on the website which you'll be giving out at the end of the program yeah okay thank you yeah um so yeah so i guess that um it's about understanding yourself better so that you know what's why you know what's happening and what it could be um so 
Does that mean that you can live your life with more confidence? Yeah, look, you do know, I know where I'm at and I know when I'm elevating, but you just, sometimes you just let it slip a little bit and let it go. But now I know that I've got to pull it up and by pulling it up, I I actually take a medication that makes me sleep and it's a very solid sleep. And if I need to do it for two or three nights, as you, if you're stressed or you can see things that are happening in your life that are going to cause you stress, that's when you start taking it. You don't leave it too late. And before I was leaving it too late, and once it's, yep. once it's once on the run, it's certainly running fast. Okay. Mm. So how about you, Todd? Same thing? You, basically, stress can be a trigger for either way. I, I can get mm. be okay. really stressed and go into a hypermanic mood, and I can be stressed and go into a depressive mood as well. Okay, and it does. There's really no rhyme or reason as to what type of stressful incident will make one or the other occur, except to say that uh, I've moved recently, and it's not into a great environment, unfortunately. So that sort of put me down a little bit, and I found that in the last probably four to five years, whenever I've moved, it's sort of put me into a bit of a, a trough. So um, so I started taking antidepressants about three months ago because my, my psychiatrist believes that people with bipolar should only be taking antidepressants when you're starting to slump into a depressive state, whereas some other psychiatrists, my first psychiatrist that I saw for five years, he had me on antidepressants the whole time, mm. whether I was high, whether I was low, whether okay. I was balanced or whatever. Okay. So do you monitor your own levels and you know, do you try things? Try things out with your medication? No. No, no. no I, okay. stick to my, I stick to my medication. The only time I haven't stuck to my medication was when I had um, an issue with methamphetamines about four and a half years ago for about three months. Okay. I didn't take any medication then at all. And uh, that's the main reason why I ended up in, in a psych ward for the first time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. How about you, Sue? Do you... I, yeah, adjust? I have. I yeah. do. I, I think that, well, I'll give you an example with my dad. He, he had a cup of coffee in his hand, was shaking, shaking. And I know the lithium makes you shake because I, I take the lithium. Mm. And in high doses, my hand shakes. So I said, I asked his doctor and his psychiatrist if he could drop a tablet or half a tablet, and we did. His hand doesn't shake, he can make a cup of coffee. He's yeah. no different. Yeah, okay. So I think you've got to work it to suit you. As well, oh, definitely, yeah. yes, mm. yeah. yeah. And what works, what what works for somebody with bipolar will not be mm. the same for the other mm. bipolar. Like, okay. That's why there's so many different types of drugs as well. Okay, yep, right. Thank you. Uh, well, listen, we're just about at the end, um, so um, I'd like to thank Sue and Todd for coming in today and sharing their bipolar support group experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Bill. No worries. Uh, If you'd like to find out more about bipolar support groups, then you can go online at bipolarlife.org.au. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from compulsive drinking and we'll be joined by Mike and Tim from Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Yeah, well, thanks for listening to Living Free Again. Thank <laughs> you.